The reading is taken from Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. If you are using the Church Bible, it's on page 928. Jonah flees from the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. This is the word of the Lord. Someone said at the nine o'clock service that it was like the tide was going out as the chairs get further and further away. (laughs) Eventually, they'll move the back row to the front. (laughs) Jonah. He was mentioned as a prophet in 2 Kings 2. And, of course, Jesus refers to him in both Matthew and Luke. But apart from that, we know very little about him. We know very little about his character or his motives. We know he's the son of Amitar, which translates as son of truth. And we know he came from a town near Nazareth. And we know from Old Testament text that we can place him in the reign of the second king of Jeroboam at around 786 to 746 BC. And we have this story, don't we? And it's one of extremes. It has a parable-like quality about it. But essentially, whatever view we take on what really happened, 
what the fish was, where Tarshish was, all of which are the subject of some controversy and discussion. What we can explore and understand from this book can be drawn from the picture this account paints of how Jonah behaved in the face of a call from God and the contrasts it presents. We can contrast the defiance of Jonah with the meaning of his name, the Son of Truth, his defiance of God and the Ninevites' repentance, his non-cooperation with God's patience and tolerance. Nineveh is in modern-day Iraq near Mosul. You may have heard of it. It's been in the news recently. And Mosul, of course, has been the focus of some of the most awful events in the Middle East. Nineveh is one of the oldest cities in the world, and at the time of Jonah, it was one of the largest, and it was also the hub of atrocity and evil. So it's understandable, isn't it, that Jonah wasn't best pleased to be sent there. Most of the Old Testament prophets were speaking to the Jewish people, and occasionally there's a record of them speaking to unbelievers, such as Daniel when he was in exile. But Jonah is unusual in that we're told he was told to physically go to the pagans, to the unbelievers. He was told to go to his enemies. Commentators record a myriad of... Excuse me while I just sort myself out a bit. (laughs) Thank you. Commentators record a myriad of assumed reasons why he didn't want to obey God. Fear of the Assyrians, unwillingness to share God's word with unbelievers, recognition that if he didn't go, then God would destroy the Assyrian people, the Ninevites, and they were the Hebrews' long-term persecutors and enemies. And as far as his people were concerned, it would be quite good if God destroyed his enemies. But whatever his motivation, Jonah, in the face of a call from God, went in the other direction. He tried to get as far away as possible. If God nudges us, speaks to us, calls us, we sometimes do an about turn, don't we? Sometimes not in such an obvious and public way as Jonah did. Or we can even try to spiritualize our inaction and hide behind a cloak of false spirituality to disguise the reality that we are ignoring God's word. I know I've been in situations where I felt like running. Most often it happens on a Monday morning when I, instead of turning left to go to work, I think I'd rather turn right and go to Snowdonia for the day. (laughs) But do you remember the comedy Reggie Perrin from a few years ago? And the picture of Reggie Perrin leaving all his clothes on the beach and disappearing to create a new life. And I can remember at the time how much that spoke to a number of friends of mine who confessed that in the pressure cooker of what life had become, and sadly church life, they could identify with the desire to escape. And of course the final image of that series, after Reggie had returned, 
was that eventually we saw all his family and friends getting undressed on the beach in a mass escape attempt. We can attempt to hide from God's will and his direction, both as individuals and corporately, which is why it's so important we come together to seek his direction in prayer as a church community, where each of us has an opportunity and a freedom to express what we sense of the Holy Spirit's leading as we seek to move forward. Encourage each other to offer our words and our instincts so that we can corporately discern the will and the call of God. Fortunately, not many of us do a Reggie Perrin, but I suspect that many of us have developed other, less obvious ways of running. And although this passage tells us of one man's escape attempt, just as in Reggie's case, Families and even communities can develop strategies and excuses to avoid difficulties or challenge. Remember the excuses of the guests at the banquet in Luke 14. I cannot come. I've married a wife. I've bought some oxen. I cannot come. But despite Jonah's shortcomings, God called him. He had called him in the past And Jonah knew that his calling was as a prophet, and he refers to himself as such. But as this passage shows us, Jonah's calling was on his own terms. When God called him to go to Nineveh, his reaction was, no way, that's a step too far. I'm opting out of this one. We sing a chorus sometimes, don't we? Jesus, all for Jesus. All I am and have and ever hope to be. What does that look like, all for Jesus? I know when I sing a song with those sentiments, emotionally I want to subscribe. I want to trust him. But if I'm totally honest, there are things that I'd like to put in brackets, all for Jesus, Accept this, accept that. And the song continues, doesn't it? All of my ambitions, hopes and plans, I surrender these into your hands. Ambition is a two-edged sword. Ambition can move us forward. It can help create vision and motivation. But ambition can also destroy others as it drives us to the top of the pile, produces a character full of ugliness as it refuses to listen to others in its pursuit of power. Let's make sure, as we look to the future, that when we sing, all of my ambitions, hopes and dreams are in his hands, that we're not tempted to take hold of ambitions, hopes and dreams for our own self-interest. One of the saddest things I heard recently in a discussion group were plans to develop future church leaders. And the plans were based on qualities that we usually expect to see in chief executive officers. Drive, ambition and masters in business administration degrees. But unless also 
there are such qualities as personal holiness, integrity, humility, and prayerfulness, then I'm not sure what will be built. There's a sense in this passage that Jonah's problem wasn't lack of trust that God would fulfill the prophetic word. He had enough experience of Almighty God to know that he would complete his word. No, it was Jonah thought he knew better than God. And we read nothing of integrity, humility, prayerfulness in Jonah's response. If he didn't go to Nineveh, God would destroy the Ninevites, and then that would be one less enemy. If he didn't go, then Gentiles wouldn't experience salvation, and Jonah's God would be just that, Jonah's God, not the God who took pity and rescued unbelievers, unbelievers who were beyond the pale in terms of their behavior and cruelty and morals. God would stay the God of people who were just like him. Do you remember the picture of a galleon that was shared a while ago now? A picture of us as a church, represented by a galleon that had been damaged and needed a lot of TLC to repair and make seaworthy again. I realized recently that my assumption was that when the repairs were completed, we would set sail in beautiful, blue, flat, calm seas. Maybe a Caribbean island or two nearby to drop anchor and enjoy warm seas and white beaches and barbecues. But I was brought up short a few weeks ago. They were my expectations. And I realized that although a Caribbean idyll might be part of the journey, galleons are also ocean-going. They carry cannon for defense. They engage with new lands and new peoples. And although I don't want to impose too far on the metaphor, it could be that as a church and as individuals, we are being called into new areas of ministry, areas dominated by the darkness that shadows our prevailing culture, areas where we will experience the need, the security of the armor Paul talks of in Ephesians, where we will count the cost of service rather than enjoy the luxury of a cruise ship. Jonah thought he knew better than Almighty God, though. But he recognizes that he's Almighty God. He even testifies to the sailors that his God is the God of heaven, who made the seas and the dry land. And yet, even so, he challenges God. And it's a measure of God's grace and mercy of God's understanding of human nature that he didn't give up on Jonah and he doesn't give up on us. Even when the sailors threw him overboard at his request, I, I think that might have been a desire for Jonah to die rather than obey God. And as I've pondered these initial verses in the book of Jonah, I wondered what the significance of Jonah sleeping during the storm might be. During the storm, we're told about centuries later in the Gospels on the Sea of Galilee, the disciples were terrified. No way could they sleep. 
It was only when Jesus appeared and stilled the raging water they became calm. But for Jonah, it was the opposite. As the storm raged, he slept. A storm sent by God to stir Jonah up. Jonah had already ignored God's command once. Was this, I wondered, why he could sleep through the storm? again ignoring the intervention of God until the sailors woke him. And therein may lie a warning for us too. If we deliberately ignore the call of God, the prompting of the Holy Spirit once, then do we become less sensitive, more able to block out his voice when it's repeated, until we're in danger of becoming spiritual sleepwalkers through life? increasingly immune to his voice until eventually and by his grace God shouts at us wake up as Paul puts it in Ephesians 5 wake up O sleeper O rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you as I've already said we don't know much of Jonah's history we know he was a prophet We know that over the years, God was preparing and training him for the day he would ask him to fulfill his most unlikely calling yet. One that, to Jonah's human mind, seems so out of kilter with his previous experience. But God had called Jonah. God had prepared Jonah. But here was no automaton, devoid of free will. Jonah had a choice And when the chips were down, he chose to run. We have choices. When he calls and says go, God knows how thoroughly he has prepared us, knows all about timing, the right timing. We can trust him. Over the next few weeks, we're being encouraged to pray, to seek God for the next stage of our journey together. Let's be brave and courageous, knowing that we are protected by the armour of God, even if we feel unprepared for the call God has for us. Let's seek to walk in intimacy with him, like a child who holds fast his father's hand as he stumbles along an unknown path. And let's be real with each other, and with our loving Heavenly Father. We can trust him if we ask him to expose our hidden desire and motives and to sanctify them, to wash them in the life-giving water of the Holy Spirit. Amen.